Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Blake Murphy is in the building. Blake and I are going to continue the Game Theory Podcast's off-season recaps with the Atlantic Division. Blake covers the Toronto Raptors for our lovely website, The Athletic. Uh, please go subscribe to The Athletic. Blake, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well. You got back from Las Vegas okay? Everything's good? Yes, sir. Uh you know the protocol here in Canada is yeah test on your way out test on your way back in uh, test when you land so all clear it's a uh, it's a bit of a pain but it's really nice to have that like at every step of the process you're like all right I'm cool I'm I'm good for a few more days yeah I'm safe I haven't caught the uh, terrible virus or anything yet uh, how was how was summer league for you did everything go well. Yeah, it was cool. It was, uh, you know, I miss the the kind of personal element of our jobs uh, a fair amount, you know, even if it's stuff that, you know, cer- certainly I, I reported a couple things that was just like right place, right time. Like, you know, Isak Bonga walks in the gym with the Raptors and I'm like, uh, did you guys sign him? Um, but there's also like an element of and you know, this is like a lot of what you get in conversations doesn't end up in an article, right? It informs your opinion, it builds relationships, it puts stuff on your radar for later. And that's an element of the job that the last year and a half or so I, I've really been missing. And it's a part that I really enjoy. You know, I, li- I like being in the gym and watching four or five games in a day and keeping an eye on the G Leaguers and getting excited about, you know, random guy X who, you know, maybe tops out as a as a good G leaguer, but you, you know, you know how that stuff goes better than, better than just about anyone. It's nice to be back in kind of the, the nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. I feel like you and I care about that stuff more than just about anyone in the world. So <laughs> uh, I'm glad that you got a chance to see David Johnson and Delano Banton and get, you, yeah, you not much of Delano David Banton Johnson. news, by the way. That I was did. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Him getting the full NBA deal because David Johnson and, and Justin Champagne are, uh, are on the two ways for the Raptors. So yeah. How about that? Uh, and Banton get, getting a full year one guarantee and a year two partial. Nice, nice bit of business. Yeah, uh, Delano Banton's agents uh, did very, very well by him. Not only did they get the one in a partial guarantee, they also only got him on a two-year deal, meaning if he's good, then they're going to be able to get him paid. If he's not good, then, you know, it's no hide off of Toronto's back and he'll move on and go elsewhere. But uh, to not have to deal with, like, the team option process in the third year, like, guys, um, you know, I'm trying to think, like, Miles McBride, I think, got two years guaranteed. And I think that, like, Herb Jones got two years guaranteed. But, like, they then, for that, have to deal with the third year team option where it'll be cheap uh, if they right. are good by year two. So, yeah, I think that the agents for um, Delano did really, really well to get him that yeah, deal. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about know, Toronto. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I was, I was just, I'll just say I was a little surprised because the Raptors maneuvered. To, uh, in a way where they kept the chunk of their mid-level open. So I was like, oh, that's with the intention of signing one or two of these guys to a three-year deal, and it remains open. So um, we'll talk a lot of Toronto, I'm sure, but interesting offseason all around for them. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about some of my worries about Toronto. Yeah. Very, very weird offseason for them. But as usual, 
with these off-season recaps, we go in alphabetical order, and Toronto's last, so we'll talk about your team last. Instead, we will start with the Boston Celtics in the Atlantic Division, and the Celtics had a pretty interesting offseason. So it started earlier than everyone else's offseason because they traded Kemba Walker and the number 16 pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Al Horford and Moses Brown with some second-round swapping in there, essentially just trying to get off of the long-term Kemba Walker deal for financial reasons and for flexibility reasons. They signed Dennis Schroeder to a one-year $5.9 million deal. They extended Marcus Smart actually like two days ago for a four-year $77 million price tag. They signed Ennis Cantor to a minimum deal. They traded for Josh Richardson into the remaining Gordon Hayward trade exception. They acquired Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando for Tristan Thompson. They drafted Juhan Begarin out of France. And importantly, which is a thing that just came across my radar, they lost to Von Fournier, but then negotiated a sign and trade with the Knicks that then opened up a $17 million trade exception for them to use over the course of the next year, which is a little bit more valuable for them because they've kind of showcased that they're able and willing to use those trade exceptions in a way that uh, past teams that have had them just don't really use them. So, uh, Overall, what was your thought on the way that the Celtics handled the offseason? Yeah, unfortunately, I think they got better. Uh, that's a, you know, it's a, there's a there's a little bit of a friendly rivalry between Raptors Twitter and Celtics Twitter, and maybe there was some kind of camaraderie in the shared misery both teams faced last year. But you know, as the Atlantic Division returns to health, and I think it's uh, you know we'll go through these teams. It's a pretty strong division. Uh, the Vegas. Yeah. Win totals certainly certainly think that uh, it's a strong division, so you don't you know Raptors fans don't want to see Boston get better, but I think they did, and I think the TPE is interesting, um, in part you know combined with the Marcus Smart extension, this, that that clearly signals what I think a lot of us figured before, or the Smart deal signals rather that you know if they're going to make a play for a Bradley Beal type that's going to have to be via trade there's just not a reasonable path to cap space for them um and then the TPE is is helpful in an event that you know that that next top guy doesn't hit the market and they're looking for something around the trade deadline or next offseason uh to fortify now we we no longer get to make the joke of all the trades the Celtics would have made uh we <laughs> we have to give Brad Stevens a blank slate to see if he'll He'll actually pull the trigger on on this uh, this nice piece of flexibility, but but I think it's fine. You know, I think the Fournier addition was good, and then obviously it went the way it did for for circumstances out of pretty much anyone's control. Um, but the pivot from that, and you have Josh Richardson, and you have you know Chris Dunn, who I've always been a big fan of, and his Cantor, who at worst is a, a functional bench big, and then Schroeder. You know, there are questions about Schroeder's fit and certain other things about Schroeder in general but at that price like you can't you can't go wrong like that's a that's a surplus value deal almost out of the gate so I I like I like what they did they had to pivot off of a couple things that didn't work before and credit to them for for not you know digging into the sunk costs there and chasing good money with bad uh, or bad money with good however that saying goes um, I don't lose money uh, at the table, so I don't, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the saying is. But yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty strong overall. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I-, I liked a lot of what they did. 
I thought that getting Josh Richardson and Chris Dunn certainly kind of kind of showcased that they are looking to improve the defensive side of the floor. I will be interested to see if Chris Dunn ends up on that roster. To be honest, I'm like not a thousand percent sure of that. Uh, if only because the uh, price tag here is pretty substantial like they are Mm -hmm. in the middle of the tax and there is a really nice rockets trade exception out there for 5.02 million that like perfectly fits chris dunn's number kind of like a glove and i wonder if uh the Celtics try to get off of the Chris Dunn money at some point midseason in order to uh, get off of that money. But damn, damn shame! I, I've always been such a big Chris Dunn fan, and as a all defense, not quite functional offense guy, he's such a raptor. And their Lowry trade exception is like seventy thousand dollars short after it, the the extra hundred oh, after the the hundred k extra. Yeah, so yeah. Um, just just out of reach. Just out of reach. That's a little bit rough, but uh, nonetheless, Chris Dunn's like the ninth man on this roster. Yeah. Replacing Josh Richardson or replacing Yvonne Fournier with Josh Richardson probably is a downgrade, unfortunately, but it's one that uh, will make them tougher to play against defensively for sure because Richardson is good. And if they get a bit of a, I think that they're betting on basically a regression in terms of the shot uh, back to what he was midway through his career. The last couple years have been tough in Philadelphia and Dallas, but maybe he can improve a little bit. Uh the Dennis Schroeder deal, like you said, it's fine. Uh, I will be interested to see what the Celtics do at point. Our Sham Sharania reported that they're planning to start Marcus Smart at point guard, and then they're probably going to go with a bigger lineup. I'll be interested to see if that's like Al Horford at the four and Robert Williams at the five, or do they start like Aaron Naismith at the two? If I was them, like I would pretty strongly consider going smaller and playing like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum down at the three and the four, start smart at the two, and then start one of Schroeder or Peyton Pritchard at the one. Uh, a big part of the reason for that is that Peyton Pritchard has been fucking amazing at Summer League. <laughs> Summer League legend, fast PP, flying back in for the championship game because even even the Vegas flags fly forever. He's unreal. What a, what a dude. I, I think he was the best player I saw at Summer League this year. I wrote that at the site. Uh, just his overall creativity, his ability to shoot, all of it. Uh, this is a team that desperately needed offense in the backcourt last year, even with Kemba Walker. And to lose Kemba and then go out and get Dennis Schroeder, hopefully get a bit of a bounce from Peyton Pritchard, uh, add Josh Richardson, I mean, look, this team's probably going to be a little bit worse offensively in the backcourt, if only because losing Kemba Walker and Yvonne Fournier, you're losing the two best guys uh, out of the group of current Celtics and last year Celtics, right? But at the end of the day, I think they did probably as well as they could have if they were pretty enthused about getting off of that Kemba Walker contract. For sure. And that, you know, that hamstrings you a little bit. And now, you know, Cantor Cantor didn't you know, break the bank or anything. He got, he got the, uh, he got the minimum. Um, but there is a little bit of a, you know, how do the pieces fit with, with Robert Williams? I, I thought last year, you know, ready for a, a bigger role. It looked like at times, and I know some health issue there. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how the, how the pieces fit. And then, you know, if they go big, where does Grant Williams fit in? Grant Williams is an interesting guy as well. And I think, you know, there's a more obvious path, uh, to him seeing playing time if they're 
a little bigger and he's soaking up some minutes at, at the at the four versus if they're uh, a little smaller and, and things are um, I guess he could still see minutes in, in that kind of basically I'm curious where Grant Williams fits in all this because there's a lot of minutes or, or not a lot of minutes to go around for for a lot of guys which is a good problem to have but uh you know you don't want to uh you don't want to stifle the growth of guys like Grant Williams and Robert Williams who you know probably have some developmental curve left um and you know Boston's in a position where let's be honest they're, they're a good team, and that Brown-Tatum duo is going to put you in the mix for some stuff, but they're not in that top tier of the Eastern Conference yet uh, without some growth from these guys who do have upside left. So um, how that gets managed will be uh, will be interesting, I think. Yeah, it feels like they're going to need one of like Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Naismith, Grant Williams, Robert Williams to make the leap into... I don't want to say like stardom, but at the very least becoming like above average starters. Like right now, I would not say Robert Williams is an above average starter. Uh, he's probably the closest out of that group. Uh, I really like Pritchard and I think Aaron Naismith has done some really interesting things the summer league as well. Just looking a little bit more confident playing off the bounce as opposed to last year when he was more of just a catch and shoot guy. So I- I'm intrigued to see where this team ends up they are going to need though i think a pretty real bounce from some of these young guys at some point and it's a little bit unclear if these guys can do that uh it's to the level that boston needs uh until then they're going to be relying on guys like dennis schroeder to kind of stem the tide and that feels like an okay place to be given that he'll at least be productive and score and will provide value off the bench but uh, you know, how much does that move the needle in terms of the Celtics being like a top three team in the East again? I'm not sure. Uh, where would you have the team in the Eastern Conference hierarchy right now? Yeah, not in the top three. I think I think they're probably in that mess of five to eight and probably on the five, six side of that yeah. of that mess. I, I haven't laid out the entire East, but, you know, I, I think I'd probably have them atlanta and toronto in some five six seven order with with an eighth in there but it's the east gets really tight once you get out of those top four and even like regular season wise i don't even know if miami will be in that top four just because of the age and the way they might manage minutes and stuff like that but i think like big picture if we're talking team quality miami will kind of be in that top four and boston might be toward the top of that next tier um like you said i just have big questions about how it all fits offensively and if another guy can pop you look at the way that this offense was structured last year two guys at 30 percent usage and then like a bunch of role players when Kemba wasn't healthy and when Kemba was healthy you know that's a third guy up with a really high usage rate that that's a lot of possessions to soak up and you probably you know you can lean on Tatum and Brown for for 30 percent usage and, and they're both still young with some upside but you need some some variability in in your attack there, I think. And as you laid out, I don't know that they, you know, they might have gone the opposite direction on on that side of the ball. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how their offense changes with Ime Yudoka taking over as the head coach mm-hmm. as opposed to Brad Stevens. Uh, does it adjust and become a bit less player centric? Uh, at least maybe uh, a bit less ball dominant with two guys with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, or does it become more ball dominant with those two because they need just creation and those guys are by far the two best <laughs> creators on the, on the team? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see what that looks like. Uh, 
I, I think I agree with you. I would have this team below Philadelphia and Brooklyn, both below Milwaukee, below uh, the Miami Heat. I think I would probably have them below the Hawks. I think they would be my number six team in the East, uh, along with New York, realistically. So it's a tricky tricky spot uh for the boston celtics right now they need to kind of navigate where they're going in terms of uh just what what their future looks like because it feels like this is a team building toward the future but they do only have jalen brown under contract for uh, i believe two more years at this point uh it could be three uh, I yeah can't it's, th- it's three three for brown and with the option five for tatum yeah, I forgot that Jalen didn't have the player option on the last year of that deal. So they still have three years. Uh, but but this window gets tighter than what you would think for a team that uh, just is very young. Like Boston is a very young team still, uh, given the fact that, you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Peyton Pritchard, Robert Williams, um, Grant Williams... Yeah, Aaron Naismith, all these guys, Romeo Langford, they're all under 25 at the very least. So uh, we'll see how they look. I think Boston got better. It's just how much better, I think, is the realistic question at this point, right? For sure. And, and you know, you mentioned the, the window and the tightening here. And, you know, smart being under a, a new deal is really important because you look at their, their cap sheet moving forward and – you know who knows what they what they end up doing with Horford next year with the partial, but Richardson's a free agent, Trudeau will be a free agent, Dunn might not be there. Robert Williams is uh, restricted this coming year, so so due to get paid, um, there's there's going to be a crunch here at, at some point, and like you said, they need they need one of those guys to to pop and maybe not become necessarily a number three in like a big three hierarchy, but they need they need reliable starting starting depth out of uh you know at least one of those guys now and longer term because like even if you're talking you know say Bradley Beal does hit the market and this roster you know they consolidate some of these pieces to to make a play like that um you know the cap sheet only gets tighter from there so you need to hit on these these inexpensive guys and get rotation level production out of them while they're still cheap and i don't love talking about players in like asset terms like that but when you have a top heavy salary structure that's how you make it work and that's how you make it work long term is to continue to hit on the the lower cost side okay let's move on let's talk about the brooklyn nets they had you know pretty normal offseason for a contender i would say they extended kevin durant for four years 196 million dollars they signed patty mills and james johnson johnson to the minimum patty mills to a two-year deal for the uh, taxpayer mid-level exception they had bruce brown accept the qualifying offer which is a pretty big thing for them they re-signed blake griffin they signed uh your legend deandre bembry uh <laughs> and then had some general, you know, just like kind of cap uh, draft machinations. And yes. they acquired a the million 20- second round picks because they have the lower rookie hold than, that is or the correct. lower rookie tax hit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so they acquired the number 29 overall pick and Javon Carter for Landry Shamit. They drafted Dayron Sharp with the number 29 pick. They drafted Cam Thomas, Kessler Edwards, Raekwon Gray, and Marcus Zagorowski as well. Uh, that's five rookies that they drafted this <laughs> year. Uh, how many of those guys are actually on the roster? We'll see. Uh, I believe that Zagorowski... Uh, by by and- the way, his full name at this point is Summer League Leading Scorer Cam Thomas. 
bucket. Oh, uh, he's, he's a bucket. Like there's he, that's what he does. it up properly. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he does. Uh, Slide right got, into the Mike James role in that in that <laughs> second or third unit. Oh man, they uh, got involved in the sign in trade for Spencer Dinwiddie. I believe that they got Nikola Militinov uh, from the Spurs, who like kind of a sneaky get if they could ever get him to come over. He's one of the best centers in Europe. I will be curious to see if he ever has a desire to come over. Uh, they lost Jeff Green as well. It's just kind of worth saying. Look, th- this team is going to be fully dependent upon what you know. Kyrie Irving and James Harden do next year and how healthy they are. If those two are healthy for 90% of the season and they are healthy in the playoffs, I think this team is the favorite to win the title. Uh, if not, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and that's a huge if, right? It's all three of those guys dealt with stuff last year. And, you know, this is where I find the Nets fascinating, you know, not just for their tax bill. And, like, hilarious that in the Dinwiddie thing, they create an $11 million and change trade-a-player exception where it's like, could you really add another piece? And, like, at the point that they're at in the luxury tax, you know, that $11 million salary is is exponentially more. Um, but I think they're I think they're super interesting. I think they had, like you said, a smart offseason for what a contender has to do. Um, you know, Joe Harris is probably – Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan are probably both not at price tags that you'd like to have with, with – you know, uh, almost 120 million or more than 120 million tied up with three guys. But Joe Harris is also a super valuable guy around these guys. And DeAndre Jordan is their pal, uh, which is uh, <laughs> as much as you can say about that. But no, I, I liked it. I think, you know, the second round pick thing makes sense from a, a cap perspective. You know, I could see Alize Johnson being, who, who is another one of my guys, being a victim there um, because, you know, he has the, the higher cap hold and all. Um, DeAndre Bembry was actually a little bit surprising as a landing spot there just for that reason, but um, another guy who's close with Kyrie and, and you know, brings the vibes. Um, and, and him and James Johnson could have, like, an interesting, uh, an interesting straight man wild man kind of combination there um with their two personalities having known them a little bit in toronto um but it's good man i I think you know bruce brown at the qualifying offer is is probably fine if you're brooklyn because while he might get more expensive next year you know you don't have to eat the full freight of that or or a share freight of that this year um if someone had had offer sheeted them and the patty mills edition is just great you know like this is a guy that's a an automatic 38 39 percent three-point shooter knows how to get his shots uh, around more ball dominant guys um really really good from all accounts culture guy which i don't think you can ever underestimate it especially you know if you think hey we might have some injury issues or um you know there there's a lot of pressure that comes with being a team that has James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and filling that locker room with, with guys who have been through it I think is a is a real consideration um so yeah I'm I'm fine with the offseason that they had I think you don't need to do a lot when you've already done the work to get Harden Durant and Irving you just make sure everything's stable you make sure everything's uh you know stable both in terms of on court depth and and you know how what the environment is like uh, around those guys and in the event of injury and you pay a ludicrous luxury tax bill which they're gonna do so um yeah i mean i don't i don't feel much differently about brooklyn now than i did when they put all this stuff together like you said the health is a big question mark with those three guys um but when they're healthy 
they are three of the best in their roles in the league. And Kevin Durant, you know, could, dis- despite the Achilles stuff um, and the the kind of bumps and bruises he had this year, you know, he could be back to best player in the world status in his 30s here. Like, if the if the Olympics were any indication and how he looked when he was healthy last year, um, there's a lot to like here. They're going to be super fun again. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I think Kevin Durant's the best player in the world. Just yeah. circle circle like, of trust here. Uh, Ke- Kevin Durant's the best player in the world right now. Like yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's it's close. There's a couple guys who at any given time, you know, you see one game and it's like, oh, well, maybe that guy is. Or, or Giannis drops fifty on one leg in the finals, and it's yeah. like, oh, maybe that guy is. But then you know, Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, and you start seeing these feathery jump shots from a seven footer go down, and it's like, oh yeah, he's impossible when he's on so uh i'm really looking forward to watching this team and seeing what you know if these three guys can get more than eight or 12 games together what that could look like yeah i think this team is deeper than it was in the playoffs last year or at least it has potential to be look are you a claxton guy i am a nick claxton guy i have been i had him at like 20th on my board 21st on my board pre-draft it was always going to be a project and this was always the year where they were going to have to reap the rewards of nick claxton and i think that they're going to i think he's going to be really good it wouldn't surprise me if they extended him uh at some point yeah that little bit of playmaking you know if you can have a guy who's a non-zero playmaker and who can you know functionally operate like that like i think it's and we didn't talk about this specifically with robert williams but i think it's something he brings too especially when you're going to be a lower usage guy around more ball dominant guys is that that extra little bit of ability to dribble out of dho um to be a threat to do something yourself to pass at a short roll like that's they're kind of simple things in terms of like role definition but they're things that not a lot of centers who are inexpensive do so um i think he's a he's a really cool player here and you know it's funny last year when when everyone's talking about like you know covering the raptors and they're clearly going the opposite direction and people are talking about trade scenarios and like every single one you know raptors fans treating him like a second round pick of like oh just throw in nick claxton i'm like excuse me the nets are not gonna throw in the young functional center they have for 1.7 million dollars like anyway Yeah, you can't can't do that. Trade the, machine's uh, fun, but he was very useful for them. I thought in the playoffs, in the limited minutes that he got, uh, very good rim protector, switchable out on the perimeter. Uh, like you said, can handle, can run some DHOs. At some point, the shooting is going to have to come around. I would like to see that before I get like overly excited. But I think he has a chance to be really good. Like if you told me he was their best center and their starting center by the end of the year, wouldn't stun me at all. Uh, at this point i think he has a chance to be really really good uh you throw in the fact that they got harder to play against i think just defensively on some level right like they go out and get javon carter uh deandre bembry is a little bit better i think than tlc and they go out and get james johnson who is tough uh blake griffin played a really tough uh 
brand of basketball as the big inside last year for them, I thought. De'Aaron Sharp is like a big physical dude inside that they might be able to steal a couple minutes here and there with. Uh, and on top of that, they go out and they get Cam Thomas, who we know can go out and get a bucket. If he can't do anything else, and I really don't think he can, uh, he can <laughs> definitely go get buckets. And that is incredibly important. And by the way, like Kessler Edwards is a good long-term defender for them to develop as well. So uh, He had a nasty block on Freddie Gillespie today. Um, Gillespie like pump faked the center and thought he had a clear path to, to uh, a dunk or a layup and Kessler uh, came out of nowhere and surprised him. Yeah, like I, I feel like this team next year, we're looking at like a playoff closing lineup of something like uh, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant, probably Blake Griffin is still in there. And then depending on if Bruce Brown is hot or if Patty Mills is rolling. Um, maybe they need like crazy point of attack defense with Javon Carter or something like that, depending on the lineup. Uh there are just a lot of different things I think that they can present to opposing teams. Now, maybe it's Nick Claxton if you need to go super switchable. Like, uh, on top of that, like I didn't even mention Joe Harris. Joe Harris is definitely in their closing lineup, you would think. So, you know, this team is deeper. of options here, yeah. Yeah, they're deeper than they were last year. I, I probably will bet on them to win the title, if we're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like a team like this is always like a little hard to figure for regular season just because, you know, they're obviously going to be ultra cautious with anything with their big three guys. And, you know, with the, the injury tape those guys have had, you know, you can probably price in all three of them, you know, 70 games is maybe optimistic um, for each of them. So I don't know that much about like, where they finish in the standings and like their 55.5 win total over under, I'd probably still lean over on it. Um, but I don't think that that matters to them as much as it's going to matter to, you know, a Philly or something like that, who uh, the margins are going to mean a lot more. Brooklyn's going to trust their guys and, and man, they, they are super, super deadly on paper. It's uh it's a lot of fun. Okay, let's uh, take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back with the Knicks and Sixers. Okay, we're back. Uh, let's talk about the New York Knicks. They got Julius Randle to sign his four-year $117 million extension. They signed Yvonne Fournier. And a lot of these deals, by the way, we're going to give the full uh, full deals here because I think that they look a lot better now that the full details have come out. Yvonne Fournier, four-year, $78 million, last-year team option. Nerland's Noel, three years, $27.8 million, last year team option, not 332 like was initially reported. Uh, Kemba Walker, two years, $18 million. Alec Burks, three years, $30 million, last year team option. Derek Rose, three years, $43 million, last year team option. Uh, they exercised their team option on Mitch Robinson, which was interesting because they could have made him a restricted free agent this year, or they could have rolled it had him cheap this year and he now will be an unrestricted free agent next year uh very strange 
not a strange choice, but uh, we'll kind of talk about that in the context of the Nerlens Noel decision, which I thought was interesting. Uh, they signed Taj Gibson to a two-year, $10 million deal where the last year was also a team option. Uh, finally, they drafted Quentin Grimes, Miles McBride, Rokas Yakubaitis, and Jericho Sims. Rokas is going to be a stash with Barcelona next year. Uh, Miles McBride has signed a three-year deal for $4.2 million. I believe that the first two years of that deal are guaranteed. Uh, and Jericho Sims signed a two-year two-way contract. Oh. I, that is... That's no. like mal, it's like malpractice level bad. Uh, from I that can't remember side. if it was was it you that when, when you came on the draft pod with me we talked about I, I ranted on one of our podcasts about this recently at the Athletic and the two year two way is not a good deal and I don't really understand how like even a one year two way has such awful RFA rules where yeah. the qualifying offer is just another two way with fifty grand on it and like. There's not a lot of freedom there for players. So to sign a two-year two-way is, uh, you know, I guess it's a, I don't know, it's like a backward bet on yourself where it's like, oh, I'm betting that uh, I'd get converted. But it's like also you're giving yourself a two-year window. I don't know. And like, I like Jericho Sims. I think he's fun. Uh, If you ask Knicks fans at Summer League, he's already better than Mitchell Robinson, um, which is not accurate. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's weird. I just like, I'm... I don't really like the idea of a two-year two-way, not just for play. Like, I just don't think it, it's a thing that should exist. Yeah, I agree. I It, it really hinders, like, player rights, in my opinion. Uh, and by the way... Yeah, and, like, maybe it's a little better now with the, like, the half a minimum. Like, what is it, 460 or something like that that guys will get in that spot. But still, it's... Uh, it's brutal. I don't love it. It's brutal. Uh Jericho Sims, by the way, uh, that comes from Spotrack. Uh, I have uh, I have it as a two year two way per Spotrack, which I believe is Keith Smith uh, running that. It is Keith now, yeah, been, which is great for Keith. Yeah, Keith's pretty good with this stuff. So the fact that he has it as a two year two way makes me think that it is a two year two way. Brutal, absolutely brutal uh, by Jericho Sims representation to do that. Uh, also, just worth mentioning though that they acquired. Uh, future first and second rounders with draft day trades because they moved 19 for kai jones they moved 21 uh for uh keon johnson to the clippers kai jones went to the hornets and they still got pretty reasonable value uh at the 19 and 21 spots with the picks that they had like they ended up getting quentin grimes miles mcbride rokas yakubaitis and jericho sims like i had first round grades on mcbride and yakubaitis uh, i had a top 40 top 35 top 40 grade on quentin grimes and i had a top 50 grade on jericho sims so they they did well in the draft and on top of that acquired future first and seconds uh with their kind of draft day maneuvers look i'm as guilty of it as anyone when i saw the initial reports of what the knicks did this offseason i thought it was not great i I think they had a good offseason i really do i think that they did a good job of running it back while still maintaining flexibility in two years to be able to potentially chase free agents and do what the Knicks try to do every year. And then it also gives them just a two-year further window of being competent. And this is an organization that just desperately needs a long stretch, not just a one-year stretch, but a prolonged stretch of competence. 
Yeah, and, and you know that's it's not a dissimilar situation from what the Bulls are in, right? Where you're in a marquee market, you want to show these young guys and potential free agents that, like, hey, we've probably moved past where you could just rely on being New York if that was ever a thing, even. Um, to, to get free agents, you need to be a competent franchise and you need to get the Knicks back to some level of, well, I'm not joining a completely empty slate. So uh, I'm with you in that regard. I I really dislike the Derrick Rose deal. Um, you know, I, I think that one kind of reeks to me of not necessarily fan service, but like you optically didn't want to lose Derrick Rose and not have something coming back in to replace that, which is fine. But then like, who are you negotiating against at, at that price, kind of? Um, but otherwise, yeah, like, I, I like their draft. Um, you know, I think they've they've done a pretty decent job developing the young side. Like, like it's summer league, and he's a second-year player, but Obi looked awesome, um, yeah. which he better at that point, right? Like, that's that's the test for second-year uh, first round picks, is you you better look good at summer league. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fine. There's, there's a little bit of you know the like you said the the Robinson Noel thing is is a little curious, especially because you know you tee up the way that this cap sheet looks in two years maybe, and, and that pivot foot, and you know you you lose some of that maybe if you if you give Robinson a, a big deal. So um, I don't know them picking up the option on him signaled to me that like maybe he's not as big a part of their future as I had believed um, because I like Robinson and I thought they were. They're pretty invested there, and obviously there's room for multiple centers in a rotation, but um, salary-wise, I'm not sure where that's going. Uh, I have a question for you. Do you like Luca? Luca Vildoza? Our, yeah. our Argentine uh, king? No, I, yeah. I mean, like, I don't think he's an NBA player, to be honest, but he's okay. super fun to watch. Like, he's yeah. super creative with the ball, has a crazy handle, has, like, the utmost green light confidence in himself. Uh, look, I, I think they just have too many point guards on this roster, yeah. which is funny because, I, like, the Knicks, every Knicks fan was like, we need point guard. We need to get a point guard. Well, they now have Emmanuel quickly. They still have Derek Rose. They have Kemba Walker now, and they have Miles McBride, who I think is really good. And on top of that, they drafted Rokos Yakubaitis, who is a stash. So, yeah. like, I I don't see the fit for Vildoza, but you know, he also has like one of the weirdest. Like, his contract is such a relic of the last CBA, not this CBA. Like, it's a Scotty Hobson deal. He got three years and almost ten million. Uh, with like all these different guarantee triggers and stuff and almost nothing like fully guaranteed um and like that's you know that was the the 20 the uh pre-2017 kind of special right of like give a guy a little bit so you can get that big non-guaranteed part and it's tradable but they they changed the rules on that um so i don't know it's a it's a funny contract structure to me and and i don't you know it's uh i don't get to see a, a ton of the uh, Spanish league, so um, I was curious about your your take on him. Also, the the interesting, like I always just get a kick out of when teams sign guys at the end of the season prior. Yeah, um, just the, the Gabriel like, like, what, deck special. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was. Um, um, it sounded like the Raptors almost did that with with Ishmael Wainwright. By the way, but uh, he was couldn't get out of the Strasbourg deal. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Ish Wainwright. I'm kind of curious yeah. on Ish. Um, yeah, the Knicks center position's interesting, which is kind of where this whole thing started, right? Like, you know, that Nerlens Noel deal is essentially a two-year, $18 million deal. Like, it's listed at 
it was initially reported at 332 uh due to bonuses that are unlikely or considered unlikely within uh collective bargaining agreement terminology uh it ended up being a three-year 28 million dollar contract and then as the team options really they're only locked in for him for two years 18 million I think that if you put it in that context, they could certainly re-sign Mitch Robinson this offseason, and it will be fine, like, depending on what they have to pay him. Like, even if they have to pay him, like, say he breaks out and they have to pay him $18 million this year, like, that's fine. You can live with yeah, a year I'm where more you're looking ahead to kind of. Yeah, I'm more looking ahead to kind of 2023 when when that pivot foot is there and RJ's do a new deal and um, yeah, that's kind of where my head was at with that. I know I know Noel's not really a, a factor there because it's a team option that year, but the sheet still gets a a little it's cluttered. Yeah. yeah, but that's I mean, hey, it's it's the NBA. Every every contract is tradable. You can always find a home for guys, and it's like like it's not like Nerlens Noel at two years eighteen wouldn't be extremely movable if they needed it at some point or um you know so i don't want to get too too bogged down with that but i do think i think there's a solid team here i I don't know if they're a 10 games over 500 team i I think that was maybe a product of uh, a particularly weak bottom half of the east but i think they're they're plucky and uh they'll play tough that that's kind of the the identity here which is uh you know new york knicks basketball right yeah i think they got harder to play against offensively because they're actually going to be able to be creative and space the floor and shoot now. Uh, going out and get uh, getting Yvonne Fournier, going out and getting, uh, you know, re-signing Derrick Rose, and going out and re-signing Alec Burks. Uh, it, like, these guys make them and, harder to play against, and hopefully yeah, quickly Yeah, and even, even Kemba, like, yeah. Kem- Kemba hasn't looked like Kemba in a while but he's still like a very solid high volume three-point shooter and like at the price they got him if it's if that's even like 70 percent of Kemba that's that's awesome yeah totally so they got harder to play against offensively which is the thing that they desperately needed and they still have a lot of the same pieces that made them very difficult to play against defensively like rj barrett was a really good defender last year i I know that you know the the analytics say he was not a great defender he was really good last year on the defensive end i thought uh you know obviously getting 48 minutes of really high level rim protection from nerland's noel and mitch robinson for a large portion of the season that was huge for the knicks they were really good julius randall is big for a four man and can move his feet and can do some different stuff uh taj gibson was really effective defensively like they they have guys that are good defensively they did lose reggie bullock and if it was me mm-hmm. i would have kept reggie bullock over alec burks at the price tags that they each signed for but you know what you know that's kind of parsing a little bit i think and uh you know on top of that they go out and they get quentin grimes and miles mcbride and jericho sims all three of whom i think are genuine plus defenders and project as genuine plus defenders in the nba so yeah i like this offseason from the knicks I, I think they did about as well as you would think yeah um you had sims like at the near the top of your pick and roll defense bigs right when you did the, did. the subcategory yeah. rankings yeah um yeah potential g league blocks leader westchester knicks defense is going to be unbelievable with uh if, if mcbride and sims spend time down there yeah they are and you would think that they're going to given the fact that nerland's noel and Mitch yeah, where are they getting money? <laughs> and miles mcbride uh, minutes, and i mean 
or yeah, they're just not getting minutes. Uh, it's going to be tough. So yeah, I, I like this Knicks offseason. I th- it's one of those things where they might have a worse record than what they did last year, if only because of the factors, like you said, the East got better and you know we might see some shooting regression and things like that. But they're a better team next year, I think. I think they're going to be yeah. harder to play against for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, this is when the East is as tight as it is. And now that we have the play in tournament, like those differences in the regular season, you know, really do matter. Like like where you stock stack up in the East. So so that's that's not to say that it's you know, it won't be a challenge for them to slide in terms of record. But, you know, like you said, this is a this is a team that would be a much harder out in a playing game than they were last year or in the first round of the playoffs uh, like they were last year. Um yeah, I think, you know, I think they're probably around a 500 team, which I know Knicks fans coming off a 41 and 31 season probably think is pessimistic. But, you know, if you're a if you're a 500 team in the East and you're in that play and mix like you can I mean, and let's be honest, like the the very top teams in the East are playoff wise an order of magnitude more dangerous than this kind of meaty second tier that a couple of the teams we're talking about are in. So, um I think that middle of the East and even in the Atlantic division where three of the three of these teams reside is going to be uh, a lot of fun this year. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I keep coming back to certain things being fun. turns out, Sam, I really like our job and uh, basketball is awesome. So, uh, and, and this year sorry. particularly like basketball yeah. is going to be so fun this year, as long as these guys like get some rest and you know this is the last year of this like three-year stretch where it's going to be insane where they get like a shortened off season again and i i just hope that everyone you know can continue to stay healthy but between the influx of talent this off the draft and guys continuing to get better from the last few draft classes that have been pretty good it's a where it's a great time to be an NBA fan. It's a genuinely great time to write about basketball and just to watch the NBA in general. For sure. And so uh, while I apologize for resorting to my big takeaway on every team being that they're going to be fun, uh, the Atlantic Division has like five teams who could reasonably claim that they're going to be five hundred or better and make the playoffs. And that's uh, that's awesome. So. Let's move to the team that was the best, you know, in this division last year, the Philadelphia 76ers. They won the Eastern Conference last year. They had the third best record in the NBA. And it feels weird, like the position that they're in right now. So let's just kind of run through their moves. They signed Joel Embiid today to a four-year, $196 million extension. Uh, They re-signed Danny Green to a two-year, $20 million deal. They signed George Niang to a two-year, $6.7 million deal. They signed Furkan Korkmaz to a three-year, $15 million deal. They brought in Andre Drummond to replace Dwight Howard on the minimum. They waived George Hill, and they drafted Jaden Springer, Charles Bassey, and Philip Petrushev. Uh, Springer is signed. Petrushev is going to be stashing with Effies this year over in Turkey. And then uh, nobody really knows what's happening with Charles Bassey. I'm very unclear right now on that whole situation, but we'll see. Yeah. So what's the what's the deal with Bassey? Is that a potential like domestic stash or I, I, like I like know. Delaware kind of thing or yeah? I, I, like I, he held out of summer league for uh, a co- for contract reasons. So I think that they're probably negotiating, but I, I 
think that they have one two-way filled right now with Rajon Tucker. I don't, and they have another uh, two-way filled other, with Aaron, Aaron Henry. Henry. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I I don't know. Like frankly, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they have. I don't think they have a roster spot. Yeah. So I, I, look uh, <laughs> again. Like this comes down to like agents doing the right thing and like being smart about mm-hmm. the draft process late in the second round like it's better for you to tell philadelphia look do not draft our guy we're going to take the qualifying offer and you will have to cut him in training camp and you'll lose him for nothing if i was charles bassey and the 76ers were playing hardball i would just sign the qualifying offer much like i believe jp Tokido did at the end of the year. KJ McDaniels, McDaniels did. did. Yeah. yeah, that's more of a success story than what I think Charles Bass. Yeah, because be he got he got that. three years, ten million as RFA. Right, um, and, and like played a one. role on that team as well. Like Charles yeah. Bassey and Philly play a role. and Philly flipped them for multiple second round picks, so it worked out for everyone. Yeah, so uh, the Bassey one, I, I don't know, man. That's th- Here, that feels... here's what the 76ers do, man. Is they trade Paul Reed into one of the small traded player exceptions that the Raptors have. Uh, and then they can just sign Charles Bassey and they save like 600 K under the, under the tax sheet. You wouldn't even need to use one of the exceptions. Cause he's, a, isn't uh, oh, yeah. a minimum, right? So yeah. Well, the, yeah, the Raptors have a couple minimum traded player exceptions. I would like those, those exceptions that aren't really exceptions for anything, but right. Uh, yeah. are the, uh, are Paul Reed's exact salary. So yeah, Paul Reed is Paul Reed's good. Hot take. Uh, so we're going to go, I mean, I know they're not in the finals as we record this, so he's probably going to be robbed of Summer League MVP, uh, but we were close to Paul Reed stacking a Summer League MVP on top of a G League MVP. I don't know about that. He was he was good, but like Peyton Pritchard was way better. Like, uh, uh, Well, yeah, they're in the finals. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, Aaron, I, I don't know. I thought there were a few guys that were better this year at Summer League. But Paul Reed, I kind of wrote that, though, uh, yesterday, that Paul Reed, uh, you know, is clearly been incredibly productive at Summer League. He was the G League MVP last year. Like, it's just very obvious that he's better than that level. Now we need to see what he can be at the NBA level. I, yeah. I don't really know what the answer to that is. Do you? Uh, I don't. Uh, I just brought up Peyton Pritchard's stats in front of me, and this is not including tonight's game. I did not like. I knew he was having a, a good tournament. Uh, the fifteen of twenty six on threes is remarkable. Um, but that's not even given, the best like, one. That's not even good... the best number. The best number is the eight point seven to one point three assist to turnover ratio. Oh man, that's uh, <laughs> that's great. It's laughable. That's great. And by the yeah. way, like Davion Mitchell, because I have this game on in the background, Davion Mitchell is putting the shackles on that dude right now. <laughs> like Good. he's Good. making there his life go. miserable uh, as we watch this game. So yes, uh, it is over my left shoulder, so I have to keep turning around to look at it. And I have not been very effective at finding windows to do that, so I have to zoom through it again later. Oh, um, what a disaster! But the yeah, the, six, with, the Sixers with Paul Reed feels, though, like but this off season feels incomplete. You know what I mean? We we don't yeah. know what they're doing with Ben Simmons. Once that happens, this will change in some regard. Yeah, and it makes them a hard team to evaluate, right? Because like a lot of the reporting has suggested that the relationship's pretty fractured to where it would be 
uncomfortable if Ben Simmons is with this team when the season starts. At the same time, everything we've heard, or at least I've heard, and the chatter in Vegas remain that the asking price is really high on Ben Simmons. And, you know, I got dragged into a little bit of this because the Raptors were tied to him and the prices getting kicked around then were just like made no sense at all. Um, Right. So this is a weird thing where like, yeah, I mean, the 76ers roster is like fairly run it back. And you add Niang, you add, um, you know, Jaden Springer, who maybe doesn't have a path to playing time, but who I really like for them and think they've had, you know, a couple pretty good drafts in a row here. Um, You know, Drummond at the minimum is a lot nicer than Drummond at like 30 million or whatever he was making last year. And I think he's better than Dwight Howard at this stage. Um, So, you know, it's a pretty good it's a fine off season from a pure run it back perspective. And you had, you won 49 games in seven, in a 72 game season last year, but it's really hard to figure anything out until we know what's up with the Simmons situation. Yeah. My concern about the Drummond thing is that doc rivers will play him. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, you know, if he, if he starts playing minutes with Joel Embiid, that's uh, we're going to be in trouble there, but that, that's a deal, too, where it depends on the Simmons deal as well, because if it was yeah. me, I would just play Ben Simmons at the five and do that when Joel Embiid is off the court for at least 10 minutes a game. And I would play Andre Drummond like five to eight minutes a game. But I, would, I don't think Andre, I, I'd one up you and I'd play Paul Reed in those Andre Drummond minutes just to see what's there. I think I would, too. <laughs> yep. Cone of cone of silence again. I think I yeah. would, too. But like, look, it, it, Drummond is probably better right now, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. And yeah. if you're looking at like the window of like, or, or if we're just looking at like what would move the needle for the 76ers, it's not Andre Drummond giving them 15 good minutes uh, at the minimum. It's Paul Reed suddenly being an NBA player, right? Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with the Sixers. I don't really <laughs> want to spend too much time on them because it just feels incomplete incomplete right now. like yeah are they better or worse than last year probably about the same like i like the yeah. george niang signing but i don't think Me he's too. like pushing the needle forward in a substantial way for them no i mean like he's he'll probably be better this year than mike scott was last year yep so that's that's a nice like at the margins upgrade but yeah like they they didn't hand their their essay in on time like we don't how are we supposed to evaluate a team that could like fundamentally change not only them but their themselves but like the rest of the league uh yep. between now and and the end of october yeah we'll see uh you know good well good for daryl Morey for continuing to value ben simmons in the way that he should be valued frankly like he should be valued as an incredibly high level asset but i don't know like it, it's we just don't have an answer yet at the end of the day yeah so, i'm certainly not going to advocate selling low on guys just just to make a deal but uh Right. Yeah, it's, it's the situation is getting pretty awkward. Okay, let's take another quick commercial break and we'll be back to finish up with Toronto. All right, Blake. Your your dear sweet Toronto Raptors. Let, let me just run through the transaction list. They acquired Precious Achua and Goran Dragic in a sign and trade for Kyle Lowry, along with a second round pick. Right, Blake? Ah, uh, no, no, just the players. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, I was very surprised, and like it was weird because the reporting on that was obviously 
a little all over the place and up in the air until like the team releases and like I wasn't sure as of like Friday morning of, of like moratorium day um and like it didn't seem like other people were sure also if a second was coming back or not um so that was a it was a very awkward situation they signed Gary Trent to a three-year, $52 million deal. Trent has a player option on that last deal, or that last year. They signed Kem Birch to a three-year, $20 million deal. And I believe Kem Birch also has a player option on that last uh, year? No, that's a, that's a straight deal. Oh, just that's a straight no, deal? No options, no partials. Uh, just, yeah, three three twenty and change. Sure. They signed Ish Wainwright. I don't know the protections on this, do you? Uh, yes, I do actually. Give me one second. I have them in a spreadsheet somewhere. So, uh, Ish has two hundred and fifty this year guaranteed, and one hundred and twenty-five guaranteed on next year's. Uh, Sam Decker. Yeah, Decker's got three fifty guaranteed. Okay, and Isak Bonga. Two hundred thousand guaranteed. So they they went with the small guarantee strategy, which is something that I think more teams should be willing to do in order to get high level free agents. Uh, yeah, like and they have the Watanabe held over on a three seventy five guarantee too. So um, could be a really really spicy camp competition there. Yeah, I love that. Uh, they waived Aaron Baines, DeAndre Bembry, Paul Watson, and Rodney Hood, uh, and they drafted Scotty Barnes, Delano Banton, and David Johnson. I hate everything about this offseason, Blake. I, I just got to be honest. Like, uh, from getting Gary Trent to a on a three year, fifty two million dollar deal that only has two years guaranteed before he can be an unrestricted free agent, uh, to signing Kem Birch to a three year deal that I don't really like. I don't know who the competition was for Kem Birch at that price point uh to drafting scotty barnes over jalen suggs which will never not be completely nonsensical to me um i i just don't like i don't blame them for the kyle lowry thing like i thought that was fine they could have gone the cap space route uh when kyle lowry left I don't know who was going to be willing to sign with Toronto, given that they're in this weird limbo situation, just as an organization where we think they're going to be back in Toronto next year, but like, we're not a hundred percent sure. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're getting really close to a hundred percent. Um, MLSE release their like what the protocols and guidelines will be today. Um, so that's, uh, you know, we're very close. The the sense I got in Vegas was the team's just waiting for like the final final thumbs up before they say, "Hey, give us your give us your money." Um, right. But you know, m- like we're talking on Tuesday night right now in Eastern Time, and Wednesday Masai Ujiri has a press conference scheduled. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow they're like, "Hey, we're back." So yeah, um, and and like the thing with that that's worth saying is too that. At the start of free agency, there wasn't that certainty necessarily, right? So and like it was that, that colored, yeah, it colored some things, and it colored. I, I think it even colored how they kind of approached this off season ahead of time. And what I mean by that is like they very clearly orchestrated the Ken Birch thing as like an extended tryout post buyout, and like the Raptors front office has a really good relationship with the Magic front office. Um, I'm sure that that's something that was. You know that it wasn't uh, it wasn't a surprise. Let's say that Ken Birch got bought out, landed with Toronto, and then re-signed in Toronto uh, on a new deal. So, um, and then I, I think they would tell you that the Powell for Trent deal was basically like an early 
you know, you could look at that as a, as a free agent play, losing Powell in free agency and using the cap space you could have had on Gary Trent. You know, now functionally, that's not a good explanation because part of the draw with Trent was he had such a small cap hold that you could have still created space and then right. re-signed him after the fact. Um, but I think they'll look at it as, look, he's slightly cheaper than Powell. He's uh, two years fewer than Powell in terms of commitment. He's on his prepaid pre-peak phase instead of um, mid to late peak phase but I'm with you man like like where was Gary Trent getting that player friendly a deal where he's got three years uh, 51.8 and possibly another 750k and unlikely incentives with the player option like like maybe well, Trent Camp wanted four years and and the Raptors were like well we'll go three but we'll let you player option it but like what the player option does to me is I don't think there's a path to Trent at 22 or 23 as a high volume 40% three point shooter being like a huge negative asset, but there is no room for surplus value on this deal. I don't think I like, I think I disagree with that, to be honest. Like, I, I think the that surplus part or the bad deal part? The surplus part. Like, I think he actually could be like a pretty real high end asset. Like, if he is. But like within the next two years, you think he could become an $18 million player? kind of do think there is a pathway to it but like i i I probably have him for like 10 or 12 this coming year like just as a as a guy who shoots well and shoots a lot but doesn't have a lot of like i mean almost next to no secondary playmaking skill and uh, a little juice to his self-creation game um but the defense kind of underwhelmed in toronto i think he's pretty good on defense to be honest he Uh, he did not have a great 20 games or so with the Raptors on that end. But, you know, maybe that's the situation change and the scheme change and everything. Yeah, I mean, like, he's physical at the point of attack. He's strong. He can deal with, like, twos, threes, and fours because of that strength. Uh, He's not, like, a difference-making defender, but I think he's a plus defender within scheme. Uh, I mean, look, he's also going to be their their worst defender if he starts, right? Like, like you can – if that's the guy that you're putting on the lesser offensive player or hiding or whatever, you're you're in really good shape. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Like – it's hard to find guys that shoot 40% from three, average 15 points a game because they can do it off of movement and relocation and don't give anything away defensively. Like yeah. that, That's actually so, a really, really hard thing to find in the NBA right now. <laughs> for sure. And, and that's why, I, like I said, I'd probably have them around you know $12 million or whatever. It's just the secondary, like basically where I'm at is like he wasn't close to an $18 million player this past year, even with those things going on. Um, you know, I, I, mean, he, I wasn't as negative. I'll say he's definitely above 10 to 12 million. Like Doug okay. McDermott just uh, got 14 million. He's better uh, than Doug McDermott. Yeah. Like, and, and like, you know, maybe I'm anchored to Hollinger's boards a little bit here where Hollinger had him down at like seven or 8 million or something like that. Yeah. That, that's um, crazy I, to me. That's absolutely. I guess my, my issue is just that like, even if he becomes who, both of us, I think, think he could be, you know, then he opts out and you're you're paying the freight on that improvement. Right. Um, so I guess that's, that's my issue is that, like, when I say that <clears throat> he maybe can't return positive value, it's because within a two year window, you got to pay. You got to you got to pay the, the upcharge on uh, on any improvement that he has. So see that uh, I agree with. I, I do agree that 
he is probably not going to return positive value for the Raptors on this deal because even if he does do well and hits that $18 million a year mark, or I think it's like 16 and a half or whatever through the first two years, right? 16 and a half to 17. Uh, yeah, it's 16 and then 17.3. So. Right. So even if he does hit that mark, he's then going to be able to opt out and leave because he'll be unrestricted at that point. I can't really wrap my head around that contract being signed. That's the kind of contract that gets signed whenever Gary Trent is soliciting restricted free agent offers from another team who is trying to steal Gary Trent from the Raptors. That's not a deal that you sign when you're just signing a guy back to an incumbent contract. Yeah, and it's like, and maybe in isolation, it, it it's justifiable or you can get your head to it but like the fact that they kind of did the same thing with Ken Birch in a just like who are you bidding against three years 20 million for Ken Birch like like Ken's a good player and I think that like having him on like like it's not it's not gonna be a terrible deal but like who was offering him more than the room exception um that you had to go a third year fully guaranteed and go you know two-thirds of your your mid-level so um you know i think i think the raptors historically have shown that they don't really care to negotiate that hard at the margins like like they gave og and fred van vliet player options and they gave pascal siakam the 28 percent kicker even before he was in RFA, like they gave it to him a, a year in advance and they've, you know, they gave Stanley Johnson a player option. Like, um, I, I, they don't seem like they prioritize, um, you know, winning the deals with their own guys like that. And I, I can understand it as like, um, the cultural side and, and the like, Hey, we believe in you. This is what we value you at. And here's your offer. Um, you know, that that's probably pretty nice if you're a player to, to have a negotiation go that way. Um, but in pure, like, you know, the opportunity cost of what they could have done this offseason and moving forward, the opportunity cost of those guys taking up $24 million next year as your young guys are getting more expensive and maybe you're pushing up against the tax, um, you know, there's probably some room to, to save a couple mil between those guys. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't don't really get the contract structure thing and then on top of it like uh, like i've i've litigated the scotty barnes over jalen suggs <laughs> thing enough i don't really need to do it again other than just to note that i think it was silly uh, i think that they overthought it. it 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 fits everything they they look for from players in terms of length and athleticism and great human being like scotty barnes unreal human being like all of that stuff fits. He's just a worse player than Jalen Suggs is kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is something that I took some heat for in the draft process. I tried to prime people for this, that this was a possibility. Like I yep. took him in our staff mock and people were pretty fired up. And, you know, it, it wasn't that I like Scotty Barnes better than Jalen Suggs. It was that I think the Raptors saw the tears differently than, than kind of we did as a as a collective public, um, you know whether that was the tier drop off was after three or if it was after five or or however it shook out, um, you know. And Shams had it out there, and I don't. I certainly haven't heard anything to the contrary that like they wanted Mobley and they tried to move up, and that yeah. that you know the the price there was was really prohibitive. So yeah, I, um, I wrote that as well. That was that was oh, the guy you? that I was told. I was told they wanted Mobley. Yeah, yeah, and. 
with good reason. Like he's he's going to be awesome. Uh, I really like Evan Mobley. I, I think Barnes is going to be like like he's going to be a fan favorite and, and he's going to do some cool stuff. And I think he's going to be an excellent defender. But yeah, like the overthinking part or the like. You know, did you did you misplay the hand not finding a trade down opportunity? Um, you know, maybe the magic take them on you, and, and it's a moot point. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I've come to terms with the Scotty Barnes thing. Like, I don't I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, I would have taken Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs because um, I don't think I I would have if I was in that position. But I've done enough thinking on it and, and trying to figure out their logic that like I'm at peace with it. It's it's time to move forward, I guess, and it'll only be in my mentions 82 times this year when Jalen Suggs puts up 15 or 20 and uh, makes all rookie and, and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, look, I think this team is probably going to have a better record than what they did last year, if only because yeah. last year just a number of things went wrong for Toronto. I Literally will- all of them. Right. Like, I think they will win more than, what did they win, like 38% of their games or something like that? Yeah, they were 27 and 45, whatever that works out to. Yeah, like, I think they will win a higher percentage than 38 to 40% of their games, but I I don't see this as a playoff team, I'm going to be honest. Like, maybe they're, like, the 10th seed in the play-in tournament. Like, I think they're going to be fighting with Washington and Charlotte and all of those teams to get into the play-in tournament. So here's where I'm at on that. And it's tough because some of the factors they dealt with last year are difficult to quantify, right? So the not being at home all year is obviously a thing. Um, Every player on their team missed at least 11 games, um, which is kind of crazy. Uh, They had three starters miss five-plus games with COVID, like actually with COVID, as well as Malachi Flynn and Paul Watson, who were, you know, the guys who could have stepped into that role. And Siakam and Van Vliet, at least, both talked openly, similar to Jason Tatum and Evan Fournier and a couple other guys, about the toll that they felt from that well after they returned. Um, You also have, you know, the coaching staff gets, gets wiped out with it. And then... You know, if we're being honest, once things went south, they really leaned into being okay with lottery odds. Um, they did yeah. not play guys much over the final month of the season or so. And part of the reason was is that they started winning again accidentally. And even though they were not playing their best lineups and stuff and had dealt with all this, you know, they went on a four-game winning streak in the middle of April. And suddenly it was like shit, are we too close to the play-in game when we want lottery odds? Um, so all of that stuff happened, and they still had to lean in a little bit to losing. So um, I think they'll be in that play-in mix, that that kind of 7-10 to 10 range. Um, you know, far be it for me to ever bet against the constantly beating their Vegas over-under Raptors um, nine years in a row up until last year. Uh, everyone on their team, is, other than Goran Dragic, is either in peak phase or in kind of the development or, or pre-peak phase of their development curve still. So there's some some upside there potentially. And I think the team will be, you know, pretty feisty defensively, certainly better than the 15th they finished in, in defensive rating last yeah, year. Yeah, um, they'll be a top 10 defensive team this year, I think. Yeah, they will not be a top 10 offensive team, I don't think, though, is the, uh, That's where is I'm the worried. issue here. <laughs> at, at least not in the half court. Like, maybe they get back to being a transition juggernaut, and part of that's like, you know they their defense has 
been pretty established for a couple of years now as the highest turnover forcing defense, and that fuels the transition game for easy buckets. But the half court's going to be a slog. So I don't know. I, I think they're depending on what we call a playoff team now with the playing games. Like I think they're in the playing games at least. Um, but you know, you're going to need some growth from some guys to if they're going to jump into the the kind of sixth range or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that losing Kyle Lowry is like a big deal. <laughs> like, we haven't really yeah. talked about it. Yeah, uh, Kyle he's, Lowry he's, still played like 50 games last year. and was Yeah, good. and it's tough because like we didn't see him after that Lakers performance. Um, but yeah, he was still putting up like 17-5-7 like pretty efficiently and was their best three-point shooter and is the best. Like everyone's job gets so much easier when Kyle Lowry's on the floor. And I think from like an off court and kind of, you know, general leadership perspective, Fred Van Vliet's ready for a lot of that. I don't think he has the same level of, I can make everyone around me significantly better. Like maybe a little bit better. Sure. Uh, He improved his pick and roll passer last year and and had some good chemistry um, with their bigs when, you know, they played functional ones, but yeah, you don't have like, like, I don't think anyone on this team is dragging Malcolm Miller, Terrence Davis, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, and Chris Boucher to a 30-point comeback. Yeah, like Kyle Lowry, like essentially replacing Kyle Lowry with Goran Dragic, maybe. Like, uh, look, Goran Dragic is on the roster, and you have reported that uh, the Raptors are going to hold him until they find something suitable or just play him, right? Uh, they're replacing Kyle Lowry with Goran Dragic, Precious Sachua, and basically scotty barnes kyle lowry is better than those guys like kyle lowry will give them more value than that trio yeah um definitely like like kyle lowry's kyle lowry i don't i don't know yeah i don't know how more how much more to say about it like like and he's you know at 35 he was still really really good so um i think that's uh i think that's a real factor and, and i think you know the Raptors are banking on a little bit the the guys growing into those roles a little bit more, um, but yeah, I mean like, would it be terribly surprising if they they underperform just a little bit and they're like, ah, what's one more lottery pick to add to the mix? Like, no, it wouldn't be that surprising. I just don't think that's going to be Plan A. Like, I think they think with Siakam, Van Vliet, and Anobi as their core and the the way they've added some some youth around that. I think they think they can get back to that kind of like 2017-ish spot. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit skeptical. Uh, probably a better team than last year, if only because things went so horribly wrong. <laughs> How could they not be? Yeah. But I don't know if I'm like super positive on them either. Uh, Blake. We also like, sorry, we, we talked about the, the Ben Simmons incomplete thing and like, the Drogic thing might not resolve to the deadline, but like, yeah, part of the Kyle Lowry deal is not completed yet. Like, I don't think anyone expects Drogic in Toronto past the deadline. So yeah. there's another tweak to be made there too. So, and I don't, I don't know if that happens before the season starts or if they like let him be a rotation piece and move him at the deadline or whatever. But um, worth saying too that like, there's another shoe to drop there or a domino to fall or whatever whatever the yeah. thing is i'm not good with my sayings today sam i uh i mentioned on the southwest podcast that i recorded with danny larue that came out earlier this week uh the numbers work on a dwight powell and moses brown for goran Dragic deal yeah and which can't that, happen till october 1st yes is that so that right yeah you can't aggregate uh what is it you can't aggregate moses brown until then so yeah. 
that makes sense to me. I think it makes sense for everyone. Dwight Powell's Canadian. They could use another center option. Uh, Goran Dragic, you know, I think would be much happier in Dallas, let's say, playing next to Luka Doncic. That deal just makes a lot of sense for everyone involved. Whether or not either team decides to go that road, we will see. But yeah, that, that's kind of where I sit on this. That That's the like wide open, easy just deal that continues to like pop up for me in my brain. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm the Raptors, I, I think I'd probably rather have that deal done, you know, in training camp when it's allowed. Um, but also like, they then they have Dwight Powell and Ken Birch and Precious and Moses Brown and I don't know they don't overthink it like get get the guys you want or whatever um I could see them asking for a little bit more back just because Dwight Powell is owed money next year too but sure um that's that's the general framework I, I think is is what we're getting at here like uh Dwight Powell plus for Goran Dragic still is the likeliest thing to happen I think yeah, I agree. Blake, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, they can find my work at The Athletic uh, on the Raptor side. Lots of Summer League stuff if you are interested in that kind of thing. I have a couple you know, features pocketed from my Summer League work that will be out over the next couple weeks. I think uh, a fun look at some of the uh, some of the newer Raptors. That's about it. Yeah, uh, I will be on vacation by the time this podcast comes out. So. Yeah, very excited about that. So uh, whatever you think of this, please feel free to tweet me. I might not respond, but please feel free to tweet at me uh, and yell at us for our opinions on the Atlantic Division, which is always it always feels like an arms race. Right, Blake? Like these. Well, these these fan bases all really dislike each other when the teams are good. Uh, And then like there's the quick pivot to commiserating together when they're bad. So yeah, like this will come out and all five fan bases are going to be mad at us. And then, you know, we'll be right about maybe three of the teams and then it'll just be two teams that hate us. (laughs) All right. This has been the game theory podcast. Please remember rate review, subscribe do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back next week with more off season breakdowns, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.